welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch the entirety of the Disney Animated Canon in sequence. He's an ex-cult member who's now a media studies student. I am a Disney fan of some girth who's being steadily more and more disillusioned. We have opinions. And these opinions are landing squarely in 2016, which as we may remember is a year where everything was fine and nothing weird happened. Uh, when Zootopia came out. Yeah, yeah, Zootopia was a fine movie at the time that's just aged poorly. And that means if we're going to talk about it, we need to summarise the plot in 60 seconds. (gasps) Your job this time! It is indeed my job. Alright, well, that means I get to be the one who says, your time starts now. A bunny joins the police force in a metropolitan city that represents all funny-talking animal kinds. There is a lot of compressed, oh no, no one no one says a bunny could do this, oh no, a bunny did this, wow, storytelling while she winds up working alongside an odd couple uh, fox predator type character uh, who's a hustler. <laughs> they uncover a plot that they think is about thing A with the mayor being bad, but it turns out that in fact the mayor was bad, but also just stupid, and in reality it's... The mayor's assistant, the real power behind the throne. Because what we really need to fear is ambitious women in places of power. There's a whole kind of racial undercurrent that I feel very ill-equipped to explain in 60 seconds or less. But in the end, the important thing is everything is better because the cool fox becomes a cop. Ah, yes, there's definitely no time in this to explain the racial thing, but if you were going to, you kind of needed to do it up front. So, good news, though. We're going to spend the rest of the podcast filling that in. What are your prior experiences of this movie, Fox? I believe we both saw this in theatres when it came out. I saw this twice in theatres. Yeah, you got to see it before me. Yeah, I saw it with our friend Viz, and you were working. So, I had to say literally nothing about this movie that I had enjoyed for a week. I mean, to be fair, I'm not a person who cares overly much about spoilers. Mm. But, uh, I'm a person who can really ruin people's experience of a movie. (laughs) Just make absolute dog shit out of it. (laughs) That's, that's an interesting take. I think perhaps you might be very sensitive to that because people so easily ruin movies for you <laughs> by telling you how to feel about them in advance. <laughs> but for what it's worth, I am obstinate enough that nothing you tell me about a movie in advance will change. Will stop me from liking it, if I like it. What about the double take, Fox? I mean, how to phrase this? Nothing in my perception of this movie changed that I did not already understand would be changing based on the fact that I now know what the word copaganda means. (laughs) There's a spectrum of relationships to this and like how extreme you are on here. And uh, I think a friend once summarized it as defund Paw Patrol. Like that's basically (laughs) where I sit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if I am to give my overall opinion of this is that I think this would be a great movie uh in a universe that does not have the problem with cops that we in our modern capitalistic societies have and race cops and race two things that just 
for finally are brought together in this one movie because they never have anything to do with each other otherwise. Well, let's not overlook sexism as well. I guess this means that we are already just jamming on the yikes door. Well, hey, I mean, look at it this way. We're going to have a grand thesis for once. We haven't had one of those in like five movies. Setting aside copaganda as part of the yikes door for now, just because it's such an enormous subject. <laughs> okay, we're going to set aside copaganda. We're going to set aside how poorly equipped this film is to to carry out its racial metaphor. Uh, and I think we're going to leave discussing the, uh, the sexism metaphor mm-hmm. for later as well. So setting those aside, let's talk about the minor yikes elements. Well... Not even necessarily yikes in this case, but also just products of its time. Product of its time, okay. Because this movie, set in 2016, Uh shows a character with an iPod, and it shows characters with smartphones. And I think this is the first time we see the smartphone and iPod period in a Disney movie. We have seen smartphones before. Uh, Remember, chicken a little. No. When we saw the entire class take out their camera phones. They were using flip phones, and that was 2007. Flip phones can be smartphones. All right, fine. iPhone-style smartphones. Okay, you mean specifically the... Uh... I mean the type of thing I mean... I, I mean the type of thing where if you said, I got a smartphone for Christmas, your friends wouldn't make fun of you. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm an Android phone user, so if I travel in the right circles, I can get made fun of no matter how good my phone is. That's true. Bye, bootlickers point is that this is an episode sorry the, the point is this is a time when the now and the recent past are both represented i guess the point where the the recent past becomes indistinguishable from the now in these movies yeah like nowadays if someone has an ipod that's kind of like a cool niche thing of like oh you're an ipod collector or something like that everyone i know uses their phone for music just because that's more convenient but that's because this movie is six years old. Well, that could also have been her phone, right? Like, do we... We see an iPod interface. It's like a little metal... Cl- it's, it's like a little thing with a with a button on the side. Oh, she's got like a shuffle. Yeah. Okay, okay. See, that's why you keep me around. Because <laughs> I've already forgotten about it. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. Like, this is the kind of stuff when you talk about product of its time. These very particular gems, these very peculiar moments of not realising what normal is and how quickly it has moved chicken little is 2007 and those characters in school the cool ones are using flip phones that can take a picture but in this we see a dude just on the escalator with what amounts to an iphone and headphones i guess the next step will be noticing when characters no longer have cables connecting their headphones in this we see a video call yeah just made on a phone that someone who is not a wealthy person has. Made to parents who are quite clearly awkward, but excited about it. Yeah, true. And it's not about how difficult it is to get it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, also, having an MP3 player as well makes a million percent of sense. Um, if you remember that she's a super active person. Yeah. Like, that's exactly the kind of person who still had a shuffle to listen to music on. Because you don't want to jog with your iPhone strapped to you somewhere. Yeah. It's a lot like the peanut allergy in Meet the Robinsons. There was a tiny window of time where a peanut allergy was both something, oh, you should have known about this, and not, ugh, this is something that's annoying me because my kid's school cares about it. (laughs) It's really interesting seeing these little moments of overlap. Anyway, Clawhauser. Yeah. 
yeah. He's not really treated with as much hate as our previous Just A Fat Joke characters, but um, the portrayal is very... Uh, he, he's the same collection of fat joke stuff. Yeah, to he's... bring back to Chicken Little. He's run to the litter, but you're meant to like him. <laughs> well, he's not run to the litter, because he's not complicit in mind-fucking someone for his personal fulfillment. Uh, but, he's, you know, that doesn't make him a good character. He's also a cop. <laughs> Everyone's cops, Talon. Everyone. This is a cop movie that doesn't even have the eventual, well, some cops are bad apples. No, all the cops are good in this. The the cops who are jerks turn out to just be, like, noble cops who were harsh on you because they wanted the best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're not supposed to be talking about the cults, we're supposed to be talking about the fat joke. Right, Clawhauser is selfish and lazy and slovenly and ineffectual and effete. I think he actually is, you know, one of those characters where they said, oh, he's totally gay, uh, you know, off screen. I know that the Oryx and Kudu are said to be gay. Like, they're married. Who? The roommates next door to Judy's. Oh! Who are fighting all the time. We get their names? In the credits. Ah, yeah, okay. And they're married. They have the same surname. Which, cool. Frozen did it first, guys. Oh, yeah, the sauna guys. (laughs) Uh, Look, there's a lot of bullshit we said they were gay after the fact Disney characters to keep track of. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, no. I forgot to make the joke. Disney's first gay characters. (laughs) Yay. Equality has been achieved. Glorhauser also has just an unsettling way of moving like he's wet. Not, yeah, not he, wet fur, but just like the object he is is a sloppy wet thing. Yeah, he's animated like an inflated bag of water. Yeah. Which I'm sure is very fun to do, but... Yeah, it, it, much like the uh, the classic Milt Carl thing of wanting to animate these big expressive characters, but he isn't big and expressive, he's just big. He's just fat. Oh, he's very expressive as well. He expresses all the stereotypical fat guy stuff. Not in, the, not in the same way. Not the visual language. Like, consider the way Smee moved around. And Smee was basically a sphere what? with a head on top. And he would do big arcing uh, steps. So he's, he'd pull himself up off the ground and his legs would wiggle for a moment and he'd bolt off. The, the manners in which those 2D characters who were big and fat and expressive is lost. Like, Clawhauser doesn't even have that. Well, okay. Uh, there's there's expressive and there's like I almost want to say over animated, but you're right. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen in the 3D era, and I feel like we are we are poorer for it. Something uh, was taken from us. Animation became more realistic and therefore more boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care for it, um, and I don't care for Clawhauser. I'm sorry, he's a lovely character. It's not his fault as a person, except for when he's an asshole and like endangers people by ignoring his job and and harasses a prisoner. Yeah, I, I don't actually like Clawhauser. Mm. Sorry. Anyway, uh, he's he's bad, and he has the entire list of of fat people stuff. I love how they like they introduce him by having him accidentally say a slur at Judy effectively. I don't know if it's a slur in this case as much as it's a microaggression. But yeah, I did say effectively. Yeah. Um, and that like the the situation is set up as that's our word, right? So. Yeah, bunnies can call other bunnies cute, but you drew to my attention watching this that this is more tied to sexism than necessarily slurs and racial groups. I mean, you can slur women. Well, yeah, that's true. The point is, 
they introduce him with this misunderstanding. Uh, and he's like, oh, gosh, imagine that. Me, the person who everyone stereotypes as a fat guy, uh, stereotyping you. And then they instantly make that a joke by having an entire donut stuck in the fat folds of his neck. So, like, if if you were imagining that this might be handled with any kind of sophistication, I feel like that clears it up, you know? That's, uh, it's, it's not okay to stereotype tiny, uh, uh, you know, adorable people. White women. It's, it's not okay to stereotype white women, but it is okay to stereotype fat men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> let's, let's not kid ourselves. She's a white woman. That's, that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, this is, this is, this is my uh, contribution to the grand thesis, I guess, because everyone notices the race metaphor with Zootopia, but I believe what we actually have here is, is a two-part metaphor, some of which is succeeding better than the other. Uh, where Judy is clearly more of a stand-in for women being underestimated and belittled. I'm not sure. You'll have to you'll have to help me sound this off. I'm not sure if we award Gideon Gray a yikes because on one hand he's not handled too poorly in the sense of you know childhood bully who is an asshole can be both recognized as an asshole but also become a better person later in life. But they do also do a lot of, like, dumb hick jokes with him. And I'm not sure how okay that is. I'm complicatedly okay with Gideon Gray. Obviously, I'm not an American Southerner. I don't get to experience those jokes. I just get to experience a whole range of other jokes that Americans make at me all the time and think that it's rude of me to make American jokes back. But whatever. <laughs> point <laughs> yeah, is... Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a fair point. That when it comes to Gideon Gray... He speaks a vernacular. He's not stupid. The story doesn't give the indication that he's an idiot, and the fact that he calls DNA dinner indicates that he's read it and he's pronouncing it wrong, not that he doesn't understand it. So that's a that's what we call a calliope problem, or possibly a calliope problem, depending <laughs> upon who you talk to. Linguists are referring to the situation where someone pronounces something wrong in a way that's coherent with the way it's written, but not with the way it's spoken. So... People who read a lot of books get a lot of these stuck in their heads. Yeah, okay. And, and uh, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think they went, ah, oh, no, we need to make sure that it's definitely like he, he, uh, he's, he's actually much more clever than you think. No, I think he's exactly as dumb as he looks. It's just, I don't feel that he is used as a, as a way to say everyone in this rural area who talks like this is stupid. He's not that different to the rest of the people around him. His manner of speech isn't that alien. And it's very easy going and lazy. Like the note where he says, you know, that's a $4 word. That's, think about the complexity of the words used and the way he chooses to express himself. It's much more about, I'm not going to use complicated words to communicate if I don't have to. I'll grant that because he's talking about a botanical name at the time. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. He I'm a little uneasy about it, but... Yeah, and I can absolutely understand someone else having a lot less comfort with him. I, uh, I I, was... If you go back on my blog and find the article I wrote about Zootopia, I did have a fairly positive opinion of Gideon Gray specifically because it's the only time I can remember in media having a bully 
reference their wrongdoing and not make it an equal partnership in failure. Well, yeah, I mean, Judy even tries to do that when he talks to her about it, which, you know, stomach, bad bunny. Yeah, like, no, you, don't get me wrong, you're a racist, but your racism is not the issue here. This guy physically assaulted you as a kid and got away with it, and that's a different kind of not okay. Yeah, those two things are unrelated. You you failed to correct the racism that was put into you. He chose to be malicious. Yeah, and you weren't racist against him. He brought it up. He's like, ah, oh, I'm a predator. Grrr. It's uh-huh. not, like, not like she went, well, Gideon, you need to give back those tickets because a filthy fox like you couldn't have earned them. Oh, I, well, I mean, she's talking about her attitude towards Nick, not her attitude towards Gideon. Yes, and Nick is also a fox. So well. you could make the case that it's racially motivated. But like when she was a child, no, she was a dumb kid who did something brave and admirable and respectable and she got bullied for it. Yeah. No, I think we've gone down the wrong track here. When they had that conversation, she's not saying I was a jerk because we fought back then. Mm-hmm. Like she's saying I was a jerk because I did a jerk thing now as an adult when I should have known better. Right? Mm. Yeah. He's, he's like, yeah. hey, I did bad things. And she's like, oh, well, we've both done bad things. It's like, that's not part of the conversation here, Judy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the bad things she's talking about are definitely the things she just did and feels bad about. To someone else who's not him. Yeah. So really yeah. bringing it up yeah, is yeah, exactly. quite rude and inappropriate, especially when he's trying to make good. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's hard to let people apologize to you. Yeah. This is something that's happened to me a couple of times later in life. And I... I uh, did not know the appropriate response at the time. And I will not in any way begrudge anyone who does not uh, have the same feelings I do about Gideon. I'm not going to say, oh no, everyone who... I I will defend Gideon from all comers. It's like, (laughs) no, this is my take on him. I like him, but also if you feel he's making fun of the rural people of the wealthiest country in the world, uh, yeah, okay, fair. All right. Moving on. Animation and making. Real quick fly through. Don't have a lot of notes here, even though the voice cast for this is comparatively enormous. <laughs> um, what to say? This is clearly another movie that got made because they wanted to animate what was in it. Yeah, and because they developed a new piece of technology. <laughs> this is about hair again. Well, this... fur this time. Okay, so I need you to brace for this because this is terrible. The technology of it is great. The impressive things it lets them do is fine. The soft fur that all the characters have that's used everywhere in this is a new software technique, which was basically they went back to Bolt and said, what if we did this but a thousand times better and faster and meant that we could use it multiple times in a scene and have it all contrast and conflict. One of the low key things about the way Bolt software worked was that if there were two things like Bolt on screen, they didn't want to do anything that would stress the hair because both of them would process the same stimuli (laughs) Uh, because it was just too hard to disentangle it otherwise. Um, Mild. But the software they used for this that gave everyone independent fur of varying different lengths and thickness and glossiness is called iGroom. Mm. Mm. I probably wouldn't have. I don't love it. No. <laughs> Send that one back. <laughs> yep. Hello. <clears throat> the two hardest problems in software development are naming things cache validation and off by one error, so. <laughs> the voice cast, again, is enormous. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot going on in this. Yeah, it's just it's just like the most busy movie we've had from them so far. I have to say, I remember very little about who is going on in this as voice actors, aside from Ildris, it, bleh, aside from Idris Elba, obviously, yeah, who chief is Bo, our, yeah. our chief, our police chief, and uh, 
That's it. God damn it, memory. No, I, I can't remember his name because I keep wanting to call him J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> the man wants pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. Thank you, J.K. Simmons, as our big dumbass man. I have pointed out that J.K. Simmons is in Gravity Falls, Portal 2, Zootopia, mm-hmm. and the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movies. So, like, for people of my age, he's just like this deep slug of just the media you watched. <laughs> Don't call someone a deep slug. <laughs> Sounds like he's gonna crawl in your ear and take over your body. Those are called yurks. No, oh, sorry. Uh, Jason Bateman as Nick, a.k.a. George Michael, or no, Michael Bluth. Nichol Bluth, that's right, Nichol Bluth. That's the third one I was going to mention, yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't think I know any other voice in this movie. Well, let me give you some just minor cameos I'll throw in through here. Uh, Kath Susie is young Babby Nick. Only young Babby Nick? That's only voice she did. <laughs> the, uh... Th- th- oh, thank you, Kath. Always lovely to see you. Yax is Tommy Chong. I'm not sure who that is. Cheech and... Oh! His name is Tommy? Yeah. <laughs> Alan Tudyk is Duke Weselton. Who's a uh, reference to the Duke of Wesselton. That's Oh my god, that's the guy from Frozen. Yep. Oh. Who was also voiced by Alan Tudyk. Let's see the fucking Disney Universe bozos try and reconcile that one. Don't try and reconcile that one. Shakira is Gazelle. Oh, of course, her. Yeah, okay, that one I knew. Uh, the um, Mr. Big is Maurice LaMarche again, which is to say, he's the brain. That's a name I should... Oh, yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of impressions, that guy, doesn't he? <laughs> a um, hip-hop artist named Fuchsia, with an exclamation point, is the polar bear who shouts at um, Judy Hopps during her training. I liked her. I mean, aside from being a cop, the... uh, I, I just, I like that the polar bear was a lady. Mm-hmm. The elephant who was handling food with his nose uh, was John DiMaggio. It's oh. your bender type. He is also the voices of Walter and Jesse because they're barely there. And uh, he is the moose that hollers at Judy when she gives him a parking ticket. And he's the pig reporter who says, can we be sure that anything is safe? So, incidental voices for him. Yep, 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 yep. Who's um? Who's the Fennec? Uh, that is Tom Lister Jr. His, the character's name is Finnick which the director has clarified is a nickname. Finnick's real name is a mystery. And Tom Lister Jr., the voice of Finnick, passed away, which means that Finnick isn't going to appear in any other Zootopia media, they've implied. And that means we're never going to know his name. I can deal with never knowing the name of this minor character, though he is kind of great. I I love that little shit-eating bastard. Yeah, the actor in question, um, Tom Lister Jr., is in... 200-ish movies. Okay. He is... No- notably... <clears throat> he does have a voice you would go out of your way for, so I could see him being in a lot of stuff. He's also very large, but the only numbers I had for his size are WWE numbers, which means they're probably lies. Well, okay, but he has WWE numbers, which definitely means something. Yeah, he wrestled with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, He was like six foot plus giant black man who had one blind eye so the side of his face was slightly dropped this isn't something you'd see in most of his tv appearances because basically the makeup and, and cast and uh, camera crew would set things up so 
you wouldn't see that one of his eyes couldn't focus on stuff, which right. is really quite cool. Um, well, I mean, it is and it isn't. It, it's it's It'd be cool. nice if they would just let it sit sometimes. That's true, but it's also cool that they said, hey, this character you're playing has two functional eyes, so you can't play him. Uh, the Ram Doug is also the security guard that starts the howl. And now, bonus little tumbler, the news broadcast that's localized. Oh, yes. Right, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the localization later. Thanks for reminding me. So, in the American broadcast, the characters of Fabienne Growley and Peter Moosebridge are played by Fabienne Rawley and Peter Mansbridge, who are actual TV anchors. I think your Mansbridge is your taint. <laughs> that's your Ballsbridge. Ah. That's a pa- that's a town in Ireland. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I was gonna say that's in the UK. Um, so hang on, both of the reporters are localized. No, ah. but the voice talent is localized depending upon the language. We get we got Miss Rowley, uh, but well, I was curious about this because she's extremely not an Australian accent. She's a very English accent. Yes, the Moose Coenca used in the standard version of the film released in the United States, Italy, France, Canada, Russia, Philippines, and Mexico. In the UK version, the moose is named Moosus Alexander, voiced by radio journalist Vassos Alexander. But the UK home release gives him the American name and voice. Go figure. In other countries, the anchor is a different animal voiced by a different person. David Campbell voices a koala newscaster named David Koalabel. Lazy, <laughs> terrible. Very lazy, yes. In the AUNZ version. The Brazilian version has a jaguar named, and I apologize, I don't know how to do this diacritic, Onchado Boicha, who is voiced by Ricardo Boicha. Mm-hmm. And, like, those those two sounding alike is me making those two sound alike. I do not know if I got that close. Please. Presumably it is a name pun, because all the other ones have been name puns. We are not apt to judge its quality. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese version uses a tanuki named Michael Tanuyama, who is voiced by Kazumasa Kora. Who is a weatherman. I love the Tanuki. I <laughs> showed the picture. It's so good. He just looks so fucking checked out. It's delightful. <laughs> Apparently the weatherman's shtick is he's like super enthusiastic in the morning and in the evening he's just really tired and bored. <laughs> like th- this is a weather person with a shtick. Okay. The Chinese version uses a giant panda that doesn't get a name. <laughs> okay. Don't know why. The news panda. It's possible that in Chinese news they don't use chirons like that, so that's just how it goes. No idea. Couldn't tell you. Um, yeah. And finally, one notable voice is that Kristen Bell is Priscilla, the sloth who hears the camel joke. If you don't know this about Kristen Bell, Kristen Bell freaking loves sloths. They are her favourite animal. It was a bit of a meme... One of her boyfriends learned about this and took her on a special trip <laughs> to the zoo to get okay. to, to get to visit a sloth. Oh god, tell me she didn't get like massively scratched up by a sloth or anything. No. Tell no. me this is a happy story. This is a happy story. Okay, and she good. gushed about it on the internet about getting to go to the zoo and see a sloth, and everyone's like, Wow, this lady is really into sloths. Is this a joke? Is this is this renowned comedian Kristen Bell doing a bit? And she's like, no, I just really like, like sloths. Bursting into tears about how much she likes sloths. This is like me getting to see the wombat. Yeah. And then on a talk show, this became a thing where the host, who I bet is probably a total dickhead to her workers, uh, actually brought out a sloth and let Kristen Bell cuddle a sloth live on television, which 
turns out turned Kristen Bell into a blubbering wreck of happiness. <laughs> Just ugly crying all over the place. Aww, that's pure and good and I like it. Yeah, and so when this movie came around, we're like, hey, you want to voice a sloth? And I bet she was like, would I? Well, I mean, she was like already in there for Frozen, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably had her on deck and were like, hey, you want to say three lines for a sloth? <laughs> yes, get out of my way. <laughs> it's like them asking me if I want to voice the woman. <laughs> and that's all I got out of the extensive voice and uh, directing talent. The, the music is exactly the kind of music you expect. <laughs> uh, any comment on the uh, deputy mayor slash eventual villain? Bellwether? Yeah. I feel like we didn't cover her. I did fly past her, but that's because she is just one of those people who is a very good, reliable voice actress. Jenny Slate. Okay. So, so no one I would recognize or, or be able to do anything you've with. You've heard her in a dozen video games and a couple of TV series, but no one who I could think of is like, oh yeah, Fox would definitely recognize this name. All right. No worries. This is another movie that makes me feel really sad about uh, about them not following the direction Tangled took further down that road. Because like, I, obviously they wanted to show off their fur, right? They were, they were psyched about this. I think you mean the I groom technology i'm not calling it that <laughs> sounds like you're brushing a hairy eyeball i won't do it it's a lowercase i it's even worse it's like i groom it's like i do like it, it it's such a terrible name for a product why by bootlickers <laughs> don't don't groom things all right like that is, that is entirely about you know, the, the, the word Tell- has been poisoned <laughs> That's very bad dog owner advice, Talon. Not everyone has whippets. <laughs> anyway, I get it. They wanted to show off their fur. They were very excited about this. The textures are ridiculously realistic. Uh, like, these are obviously cartoonish characters, but the, su- the, the substances from which they are formed look hyper-realistic. And... That's, I'm sure, a great technological advancement, to, but to me it is very boring. I, I wish they looked more painted. I feel that the three-dimensionality, like the, the 3D objectness of it, made it easier for them to correctly do scale. Like the fact that this is a world where you have hamsters and rabbits and moose all riding the same public transport um, is... I imagine that if I was going to draw that, the very first time I drew that, it'd be super disciplined and I'd have all the measurements and I'd be like, yes, this is a moose, it's gigantic, <laughs> and this is the bunny, this is... and the second I had to have them have a conversation, the moose's head would just be conspicuously smaller. And, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Well. But, like, I think maybe the three-dimensionality let them handle space in a way that they don't normally. I... Now, I'm, I'm not saying your estimation of what you would do is oh, incorrect, yeah. <laughs> but... I reckon Disney animators are disciplined enough that they could keep to a model sheet. Possibly, but on the other hand, as an animator, if it makes the shot worse to have one character's head about two th- two thirds too big mm. for a meaningful exchange of information, don't you do what's best for the shot? Yeah, but what's best for the shot isn't draw the characters off model. What's best for the shot is change the shot, which is what they did in this movie. Like, this... The the framing up, like, you're talking about directorial choices rather than animation choices. Yeah, that's fair. And you would only wind up with those scale problems if you had a director who wasn't especially good at, well, a director of photography, I guess. 
I don't know if the roles work exactly the same on an animated movie. Especially a 3D it's, animated movie. Yeah, especially these days. <laughs> Whoever's putting the shots together. Um, yeah. So, I mean, within the space of I wish this looked less realistic, um, they did do a lot of really lovely detail uh, and whatnot that I think is worthy of drawing attention to. Like, even for a Disney movie, which, you know, additional detail is a matter of budget 90% of the time. Yeah. So Disney is where you expect a high level of background detail and whatnot. That um, is the point that I've been harping on ever since um, Black Cauldron. The way you get those backgrounds in the Black Cauldron is you have ten times as many background artists and have them all be the best ones. Sorry, I don't mean backgrounds as in the scenery and everything. I mean detail that's not the the two the the focal point of the scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like this the this movie lives and dies on the environment. And what's going on in this city a lot of the time. Yeah. The uh, city is a character, to go back to that uh, classic line about Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And uh, they For do... those of you with a bingo card, we've mentioned Notre Dame. <laughs> and I've mentioned the Black Cauldron. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's really joyful to look at a lot of the time. They steered away from what you normally get in these movies which is everyone is scaled to more or less human size Mm -hmm. no matter what kind of animal they are um and you know the plot hinges on this being the case so there's a lot more thought gone into how you would have all these critters live alongside one another using the same infrastructure except sometimes not um and most of it is really good and funny and exciting and just, like, delightful to to look at. Like the little uh, the f- vacuum tubes uh, for the fucking hamsters and stuff. That was some great stuff. As far as making notes go that, that aren't the animation, um, there you go. All the performances are pretty spectacular. Uh, the music is very not. I... I mean, the score is fine. It's unremarkable. I can't remember anything about the music in this film aside from the the Shakira song that becomes the movie's main theme, and it's a very bland dance track. Yeah, the music is... Eh. I mean, I was never going to be a, a Shakira fan to begin with, but... I mean, I have more Shakira tracks on my playlist than you do, but it's almost always for the sheer novelty of how someone who's in, whose second language is English approaches making English blockbusters and succeeds. <laughs> we don't have a lot of ESL uh, singers who have number one hits. And I don't even know if she's a technically ESL, but she does very much write for her audiences in Latin America. I assume so, because her lyrics get pretty weird sometimes. Yeah, and it, it, it's also just a different character of the style of music and the kind of vocal performances that people even want. Like, I think you pointed out during the movie that there's no rhymes in there, really. Yeah, it has that very ESL quality of rhymes are completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And they might rhyme better in a different language. I don't know. But well, also... They might rhyme in a different language, but they might also just not... Like, most languages don't care about rhyming in songs. Is that something that is I actually discovered. where my sentence was going to go. Yeah, yeah. You were... <laughs> yeah, so basically, the song is very strange to my expectations but also 
the, the woman managed to make some truly absurd song lyrics into number one hits. So 2016, I don't know, it was a wild time. Well, this is still an incredibly bland dance track. Yep. <laughs> this is where we would normally say, if only it had been a musical, and now I'm just thinking of Disney cop musical. <laughs> we do not <laughs> no, need... No, I'm good with it, actually. We do not need furry cop rock. <laughs> well, if it was rock, I would have liked it. Do you know what cop rock is? Oh god, wait, there's a genre? Oh, no, no, it's not a genre. Okay. Cop rock is a show. Oh. Cop rock was a weekly detective procedural show musical oh, about no. cops. The fuck? That had, like, a song about hunting down a sexual predator. Ah! No! I've never heard of this and I'm horrified now. Fox, it's all on YouTube. You know what's going to happen as soon as the recording is done. I'm not watching that. Oh no, I'm just going to play it and you're going to have reactions. I have to go to bed, I have work day tomorrow. <laughs> Bye! And that brings us to the conclusion of the copy-pasted from Wikipedia, padding out the middle of the podcast chunk <laughs> of the notes. Which brings us on to the grand thesis. Akat! <sighs> yes, yeah, so... This... This amount of propaganda was never okay, but we thought it was okay back in the day. And by the back in the day, we mean six years ago. And it has aged profoundly poorly. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, I, I'm annoyed because now I would feel iffy about even encouraging a kid to watch this. Just because, like, I mm -hmm. just don't... So I don't think you need more media presenting the idea that cops are unequivocally good guys. So for some police media that definitely counts as propaganda, that I know people still have some relationship to and some, some warmth towards, particularly Columbo and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm -hmm. one of my points I bring up is look at the media and ask yourself, is this a representation of how cops are or how you think cops should be? Columbo is a great example of this because Columbo doesn't behave like a goddamned cop. Columbo is there to get rich murderers and he doesn't really care about anything else. So there's petty criminals and small-time crooks. He's just like, I don't care. Anyway, we move past that because what matters to me is powerful people going unaccountable. And that's the vision of what I think is a kind of recuperation you can do on propaganda. Like, what would an actual good cop look like and then you compare that to the kind of cops we have in real life. And you're like, oh, they're nothing alike. As opposed to the situation you have with stuff like Blue Bloods um, or Dragnet, where you have this show that's like, no, nah, this is how cops really deal with things. And it's really gritty and it's oppressive and grrr. Um, and that creates the situation where you unconsciously forgive cops in the real world because you can imagine a narrative that justifies the way they behave. Special middle-of-the-road reference here to The Wire, which tries to thread this needle <laughs> by having good cops, but also show you the way that a large number of those cops are fucking scum, and then try to make you sympathize with them in the same way it does with the people in the drug trade. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think there's a solution, and I also think that you don't need another white guy in his late 30s spouting off about, oh my god, The Wire is so good, especially on a podcast about Disney movies. Yeah, so where does Zootopia fall in all of this, though? Because this is a basically an uncritically good version exactly. of cops. This is 
the other side of that. This is not the Brooklyn Nine-Nine Columbo vision of what does good policing look like. To be fair, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they are terrible cops. Yeah, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine also has like a whole season dedicated to showing things like racialized police corruption and police unions and so on and so forth. They, they, they at least try to change the course of things in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, all right. And one thing Brooklyn Nine-Nine does that I do appreciate is it brings up how often, why don't we solve more crimes? The answer is budget bullshit. And that's often the reality of, of why cops wind up being the way they are in a lot of situations, even if they are going in with lofty aspirations. Like, I'm willing to give Brooklyn Nine-Nine more of a pass because it's a comedy and being bad at being good at their jobs is part of the joke. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it does still find, like, massively trampling people's rights and stuff to be a subject of comedy, so... Yes. I'm just saying, I think there's a reason they're not making more of it at the moment. Yeah. In this movie, our heroes torture someone. So I think these cops are indeed ab. <clears throat> Point of order. They don't torture someone. They keep their hands clean by getting a friend of theirs who is a crime boss to torture someone on their behalf. Yeah. Distinction. Difference. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, no, it's actually worse. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Not better. <laughs> this is a great example of... Okay, they do a lot of, you know, haha, it's clever for me to get around the the checks on my power placed by the system by doing some cunning protagonisty double talk. And what we get out of that situation is that one cop has put completely unreasonable restrictions on another cop. And the way she gets around this is to essentially ignore the restrictions that are supposed to keep cops behaving well Mm -hmm. for the benefit of her personal goals. So this is like, oh, she, she had to do a, you know, a kind of sketchy thing to get around the unreasonable restrictions. But the unreasonable restrictions are just some other cop doing petty bullshit to a cop. It is the Quiz Custodes thing. It is who's watching, who writes the reports, who watches the watchman. And we are left to understood that these are all good people in the end. Yeah. Like, after we get Chief Bogo, like, unequivocally being declared to be in the clear, we immediately pivot to understanding him as a, like, harsh but fair character who didn't believe in our hero at first, but now he respects her and everything he does is now framed from a reasonable perspective of just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And, like... It's some hard bullshit. Clawhauser does not help with this either. He's awful yeah. to civilians. And that's where I fall on this particular, like, copaganda element. I'm not to say that, you know, there's the good copaganda and the bad copaganda, because it's all copaganda. It's all trying to make you have a reaction to this social structure that is based primarily on emotion rather than on a rational, provable relationship to facts. Oh, right. And our hero who wants to be a cop because she wants to change the world for the better gets saddled with the the shittiest task on the police force. And when, when challenged to effectively prove herself in this shitty role, her response is to become... Like the shittiest kind of class dobber, right? The person who stands next to the meter waiting for it to expire (laughs) so she can stick a ticket on a thing while someone is walking back to their car. Her behavior is awful and she's doing it 
not because it actually is necessary or helpful, but because she wants to prove herself, mm. despite being put in a shitty job. And that's just, so, like, if you actually think about what's happening there, that's awful! That's such bad behaviour for our hero who wants to save the damn world. I have a note in Whateverland about the way that scale and capitalism breaks down. <sighs> but I want you to consider that she was ticketing a giraffe car that took multiple uh, spaces up. And she oh. was ticketing a mouse car the size of my glove. That's a good point, too. Do we see the values on the tickets? No, and that's probably, like, you probably have some system to make sure that's divvied up equally. God, I hope so. But again, that's where capitalism breaks down at scale, uh, which is the whole point of Nick's con. The issue is more, in this situation, that the possible imposition of people parking their cars cannot be equal in this situation. Yeah. A thousand mice can park in the space of the giraffe car and no one would notice. You might run the risk of running over the mouse cars. I mean, that's the main reason that you would want to keep parking restrictions in place for very tiny cars. It would yeah. be to prevent very tiny people from suffering the consequences. But they get full-size tickets which can wreck their cars. Well, that's true. The infrastructure in this city is... Uh, like, we see a lot of cases where it is cleverly designed to accommodate multiple citizens, and then, for a bunch of gags, we see places where it's not, and someone's life is endangered by this. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, just the fact that the police academy has nothing in scale for for Judy to exist. Yeah. Like, going to the bathroom is a funny hazard for her, and, like, I'm not saying that's a plot hole or whatever, it actually makes a lot of sense because they make a point of, like, no bunny's ever tried to become a cop before. So, like, you could totally see that being, like, you know, that that's the equivalent of your fucking 50s uh, place that doesn't have a bathroom. Yeah. That, that doesn't have a bathroom that's usable by someone who has to sit down to pee, let's say. Or has a place to put used tampons. That's a good one, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those things that this world reflects that, ironically, everything is convenient for the cops at the time. Like, the cops never have problems physically going to and from places, even though they're enormous. And Judy has a uh, meter-made meter uh, little getabout that's perfectly sized for her. Yeah, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. Like, she is less than half the size of any other... I want you to envision Bogo trying to get in that thing when he was a junior. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Maybe they had one specially made for her. But I feel like they'd make a point of that. But yeah, further to the point, it's just the amount of chaos she causes as a rabbit-sized person pursuing a weasel-sized person into an area populated by mice and shrews and hamsters. Like, you need cops if you need cops at all. And I'm not saying you do. <laughs> all cops are unnecessary. But assuming you need a police force, you need cops who are appropriately sized for that area because your water buffalo can't do shit in there. He can't even get in there to investigate. What's he gonna What's he gonna do in a crime scene there? Like grab a fucking microscope and like, well, I need to confiscate your entire house. Yeah. Like the the notion that this society functions fine without any police officers smaller than a fucking wolf is uh is a bit dumb. Pretty much. So I choose to believe that the, the tiny town is basically a hotbed for delightful anarchy. 
And yet they still have a department store where you can get really nicely made custom dresses. Yeah, well, anarchy doesn't ruin anything. Yep. The other thing is, in this universe, stereotyping is wrong and bad. Yes. But also entirely legitimate. Yes. Yes. In fact, the, it appears that the only stereotypes that are untrue are that predators predate. Everything else seems to be accurate. The other, An element here that really frustrates me is the harm a predator in this context can inflict is tangibly larger than the harm a non-predator can predict can inflict because we see that predators still have claws and bunnies for example don't but also the most dangerous animals we see period in this whole thing are hippos well that's what i was going to bring up it's (laughs) not a predator issue in that case it's a size issue for sure Uh uh-huh um but now we're just i mean we've talked about this on the podcast before when you're at when you make your animals into humans you can no longer use them for human messaging about prejudice. Especially when you're using them in 3D with this consistent scale thing, because it all makes it all so much more real. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to act like this is a, 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 a racial thing, but a tiger who is bigger than my house yes, is a scarier thing to me than a person my own size. I, I know, I know it's such a ridiculous comparison to draw. <laughs> Because that doesn't exist. That's not real. But in this universe, it is. And the metaphor collapses in on itself. Uh, listener, if, if you've not watched, uh, if you've not listened to uh, Talon's podcast he does with his friends Clay and Corey <laughs> called From the Rooftops, uh, now would be a great time to just go and download all of that. Because <laughs> this is going to come up a fair bit. But <laughs> basically, the use of, of Predator's as a racial metaphor in Zootopia, breaks quite badly for the same reason that the use of X-Men as a, yeah. <laughs> as a race rights metaphor doesn't work. Because, sir, your face is constantly exploding. Constantly exploding. Now, no one has fucking laser beam superpowers in Zootopia. But when I can murder another citizen by thoughtlessly stepping somewhere without looking, then it's not unreasonable of them to to feel they need protection against me as a rule. I think that's acceptable. One of the things that the de-animalizing of these characters also does is it changes a lot of contexts that make animals capable of predation. In the context, like, we, I'm sorry to come back to the hippos, but in the real world, nothing predates on hippos. They, they just no, don't have a predator. It's so not worth the effort. Yeah. And if you can meaningfully hurt them, they've probably killed you by now anyway, so don't bother. Yeah, hippos kill bison, and they don't eat them. It's just, this bison was too close to my wall. Kill them to get them. Fuck off, man! So I killed it. And if you then scale that hippo into a human who is now existing in a space where they are just as disproportionate to the world around them yeah, as a Yeah, barely hippo is, scaled. Like, not, not even really. But also... What's a pack hunter in this context? Are a bunch of predators gathering together to to form a group to try and beat up on prey? I think we are given to understand that nothing hunts anymore, which has its own question of like, what are people eating? But this also means that the elephant is gone from being a big ponderous thing that still needs to be careful about pack movement and predation and protecting their weak because groups of hunters that take down an elephant feed the pack for a month. 
right? That's how it works in the real world. Elephants are a high-risk, high-reward kind of uh, uh, predation strategy. They're also usually a desperation move. Yeah, whereas here, in Zootopia, an elephant is just a goddamned giant. Oh, yes, an elephant fears nothing in this world. The, the elephants are absolute king shits. I, I cannot, like, they show us Judy managing to outbox a rhino. Great. Okay. Fine. You, you can have your kung fu style stuff. That's great. But by default, this is a world where elephants walk around and can push you around. The polar bears don't scale up to elephants. Polar bears are one of the closest things in the real world you're going to encounter to an actual goddamn sea monster. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting you to say, but okay. There's a there's an amazing painting of polar bears just ripping apart a vessel because uh, they just like, oh, hey, this thing's full of people and they're defenseless. So, shoop, and the incident was recorded in a journal and then someone painted it. And it's this, it's this amazingly terrifying picture. Of, like during the period of Arctic exploration, it's like, oh, yeah, what happened to that? Ex- what happened to that expedition of 20 men? One polar bear. Oh, because the polar bear kills a couple of them. And then follows the rest. And then kills a couple of them. And follows the rest. Because what are they going to do about it? I guess I could actually see a bear acting like that. Most hunters I know of, I'd be like, no, they don't do that. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, a polar bear is solitary and they travel a long fucking way for food. Yeah. Anyway. Point is that this metaphor all breaks down because we are shown that the animals do have material differences between themselves that are completely justifiable sources of fear. Which, by the way, is the only reason that Judy's metaphor, uh, because if you're playing along at home, Judy is about being a girl. Yeah. Now, obviously, she's not. Like, the reason that people look down on her is not because she's a girl within Zootopia. We have a lot of giant women in the police force, Mm -hmm. including that polar bear at the beginning who fears nothing, including God. (laughs) Um, But... That metaphor does actually carry through. This is a person who, like, typically, if you grow up on girl hormones, you wind up smaller, you are considered to be physically weak and incapable, and probably shouldn't try and do dangerous things. You know, broad strokes for shitty attitudes. And that actually has, like, the the proportions of that are more or less fair as a metaphor. Like, yeah, there's not nothing there. It's not like people being scared of black people because they have superpowers. No, that's bullshit. Yeah. People looking down on women because if you grow up on girl hormones, you might wind up smaller and weaker. That's at least frequently true. Yeah. It's a common enough trend. Yeah. And the This also means that anytime you encounter someone who is on estrogen, whether, you know, whether store bought or fact or, or homemade, like if they yeah. are, if they're muscular and fit, they're doing twice as they're working twice as hard. Yeah, sorry. Let let me uh, let me replace grew up on girl hormones with if you're predominantly on girl hormones. Yeah, potion of girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, don't feel bad about the language here being inelegant in uh, the exact. The language we have was constructed by a system that didn't want to acknowledge any alternatives. <laughs> if you're on E. Wait, shit. <laughs> Cops on E is a very different kind of story. <laughs> yeah, so the the fact that, that this is a prejudice that has some general truth to it, 
but is carried to the point of assuming that therefore you are incapable and should not aspire to anything is is the taking it too far and the blatantly untrue. And those things actually follow through. Whereas Nick's metaphor and the broader metaphor of predators obviously being synonymous with America's relationship with black people is just a train wreck. <laughs> like, it's it's really bad. It's... It, it would be fine and interesting in a vacuum, but considering that it is very obviously a race metaphor, it's a fucking disaster. Absolutely. <laughs> God, what a mess. <laughs> mm. Hey, uh, do you want to get out of this awkward morass of cumbersome language and flee to the wilds? Yeah, God, of whatever land. so hard to talk about, even with the best of intentions and... A fairly informed understanding. God, yeah. the language is so... It's almost like the language was deliberately designed to make it so you couldn't reasonably talk about this shit. Sapir Wharf Hypothesis says what? Anyway. So, how many of the lines do you reckon the drill sergeant uses to refer to Judy are probably in-universe slurs? Oh, basically all of them. <laughs> I said I liked her, but what I mean is I like that they made a giant polar bear lady. I don't like Drill Sergeant Nasty as an archetype. It is my least favorite thing ever. I I want to see a military movie where someone is that, and then a person who actually cares about people and respects them comes in and replaces them and is like, no, you suck at this job. You didn't realize, no, you've, you've destroyed people <laughs> who could have been successful because you thought this was the only way to teach you fucking toxically masculine shitlord. Uh... Capitalism does not work at these scales. Boy, it doesn't. Like, we're given to imply that the, the jumbo pop um, scenario is like, things are priced appropriately to the size of the creatures they're intended for, but like, this is all the same materials, so... Yeah, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very much like the racism metaphor in, the, in that it expresses that sort of have your cake and eat it to nature of this world. I remember another universe which does actually use this differing scale thing in a big metropolitan city, which is Discworld. Or I don't know if you remember, but <laughs> there are gnomes in Discworld yeah, yeah. who are somewhere that is between two to six inches tall. And one of them in universe, known as Wee Mad Arthur, at one point it mentions that he could be very cheap and affordable as a rat catcher because he got to operate on a different scale. Because, sure, it took him all day to kill all the rats in a building because he had to hunt them down and fight them one by one. But if he made $4 and spent one of those dollars on a loaf of bread, he could hollow that bread out, eat it for a month, and also use the crust as a house. I was there not also a joke about eating the rats? Yeah. I feel like there would have been. The Wee Mad Arthur bits get a bit bleak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like exactly. Wee Arthur. Like, this is, you, you. if you keep animals to the scale that they are, and you layer human capitalism on top of that, you have to acknowledge that a hamster costs three cents a day to feed, and an elephant costs $300. And we know that this is a city where people do capitalism and pay taxes. This is a city where people drive cars. Yeah. Which are presumably still running on fossil fuels, because I didn't see any electrical car infrastructure. Big so. Trucks. That, I mean, that's not a a variable thing. Driving a car the size of an elephant and moving an occupant the size of an elephant yep. has 
a tremendous impact compared to moving a car sized for a novelty hamster. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, where the hell are the police union? <laughs> well, I guess as the un- only unambiguously evil union in existence, <laughs> they are so not appearing in this film. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is a film where police are heroes, so you kind of have to leave them out. You you don't get a choice. Also, Disney hates unions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I had. <clears throat> I don't remember saying that. Now go fetch me a glass of cigarette. <laughs> Uh, sir, the union has requested that they no longer get paid in casks of cigarette. (laughs) I love how they bother animating Judy's nose a lot of the time. It's a very cute tell. Um, Obviously, she gets that kind of attention mostly because she's a main character, but, uh, you know, even more would have been great, but I'll take it. Also, her eyes and skull being so fixed in dimension means that if you're the animator who has to deal with the Disney girl face eyes problem, I imagine the nose just makes you go, oh, thank God. At least everyone has fucking gigantic Disney girl eyes in this. Like, uh, Nick, despite not being a feminine face, has roughly the same facial proportions as Judy. Just he has a long ass fox nose. Not the polar bears. Not the polar bears. Not the hippo. No, the hippo sorry. has tiny eyes. To clarify, oh. when I say everyone, I mean like our main characters. Right, right. Because if you look at the background characters from any other Disney, they don't get Disney girl face at all. It's true. That's for main characters with whom we are supposed to emphasize, uh, with whom we are supposed to empathize immediately and frequently without question. Because the film lives and dies on whether or not we like them. Um, Judy's parents suck oh my god they are the worst pair of racist hicks like it's kind of funny i guess that they are such bad parents just Um, comically so and and, you know they do they rehabilitate them a bit they get better they're nice to one fox well that's true we don't see any sign that dad's any less racist but even beyond the racism just they're just awful they're so like you know the, you remember the speech they gave her it's played as a joke but they clearly front up to her and you're like you know how we got to be so happy we settled so what that means is literally you're not happy you accepted less happiness and decided that you were happy based on that like there is a speech I understand that every black parent in America has to give their kid at some point explaining things about how to be careful and how to be safe right yeah and judy comes across as so white that this is her parents version of that (laughs) where she's gone i have an ambition to improve the world and i'm not actually interested in having it criticized no notes thank you and her parents take time out of their day just we really want to run your dream down dear We, we just really want to make sure that you feel properly put in your place as a child. Well, once again, Judy is is playing the part of femininity in this. So yeah. what she's getting is the, you know, have your car keys in your hand when yeah, you go true. out to the car park talk. <laughs> but it, it, like, just ramped up to the most absurd degree possible. You know what's safer? Don't even get a car. In fact, don't go anywhere. Mm. Literally stay in your house the entire time. Uh, that's just the safest way. I will say, sizable divot is a very funny pair <laughs> of words. Yeah, yeah, like, they they are funny. 
but like it's a very black humor in the sense of like they are just atrocious at parenting and it's like a little bit upsetting even as a joke fucking yucks now shall we on to capitalism uh i think we shall hey fox you know what goes together perfectly with cops capitalism <laughs> what do you reckon the budget was like up or down over big hero 6 <laughs> Uh, up over Big Hero 6, but not massively up. Down. 150 million. This was made on oh. the same budget as Frozen. And all the numbers are getting very uniform at this point, which has me getting suspicious. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's not... That is down, but it's not remarkably down, right? That's like 10, 10 mil less or something like 15. that. 15. Okay, yeah. It has me wondering so, if, A blip in the ocean for Disney scale. Yeah, it has me wondering at this point if... The way that they're calculating budget is they're saying the yearly operational cost of our animation department. <laughs> yeah, I think it might also be that they just like took great pains to rein it in and at the same time have honed it to a more routine status than it was. Like when they first started dealing with 3D, they had no fucking idea what they were doing. <laughs> and we had a lot of stories about endless rewrites and, you know, failed to get off the grounds and, uh, you know, whoops, all twin towers. <laughs> Just like, we had a lot of shit. Last season was a rough one, yeah, it's true. There, there was a lot of shit up in the air. Um, and they have found their feet at this point. So it would be a lot easier to work to a consistent budget. Though I assume there's also an element of them saying, all right, now we're going to work to a consistent budget, aren't we? Well, speaking of consistent budgets, do you think this made more or less than Big Hero 6? <laughs> now, Big Hero 6 did do quite well. Like, I remember being concerned that it was going to have like, you know, technically a flop kind of status because it followed up Frozen and that was a tough act. Yeah, the the, the joke I kept making was that when you say Frozen made a billion dollars, your margin of error is $200 <laughs> million. Dollars. Yeah. yeah. And the entire budget of Big Hero 6 was $165 million. So Big Hero 6, which pulled in 652 Yeah. That means that overall it made half a billion dollars, hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. And I do, I remember this being received really well at the time, so I think it made, uh, I'm going to say up, but not remarkably up. So, uh, Big Hero 6 got to make $652 million in between two movies that broke a billion. Oh, so this was definitely up. Very Zootopia up. Okay. made $1.02 billion. Ooh, wow. They must be so pleased that they got it out when they did. Yeah, because doing it now... <laughs> I mean, there's a reason we haven't had a Zootopia 2. There definitely was a plan for one. Still in the works? Yeah. And I think that's going to be sitting on a shelf for a while. I feel like they should leave that one on the shelf. Indefinitely. Zootopia was kind of perfect for the time and place it was, as far as, like, Disney's position goes, because it was a billion-dollar blockbuster. They made all the money you could. They merchandised the living hell out of it. Oh, it's, yeah, no kidding. It's doing the thing in the furry community that Robin Hood did in the 70s. <laughs> there are people whose first fursonas were Zootopia yeah. fan characters. Yeah. I mean, it's probably no accident that Nick has a lot sort of superficially in common with Robin Hood. Yeah, because people like Fox Boys. Foxes are hot. The views of Fox do not necessarily... <laughs> <laughs> 
oh shit, this is the bit where I have to disclaim my name, which is not actually picked for being a furry. It's no. just a coincidence, I swear no, to God. but it's worse, isn't it? It is worse, yes. <laughs> Point is, Zootopia is a really unfortunate thing to sandwich Big Hero 6 between. Because in any other string of movies, Big Hero 6, which cost 165 to make and got you back about 650, would be stunningly good numbers it would be amazingly amazingly good it had a tv series that ran really well it has a fan base it has a dedicated fandom it would be even if you put it only seven years earlier imagine if big hero six had dropped around bolt or (laughs) or meet the robinsons era it would have stomped the living crap out of that whole season except for lilo and stitch it also had a lot more, like, tonally in common with those movies. Like, mm. if it came at the end of that string, you would have been like, finally, they got one of these right. Yeah. I like, mean, they got Bolt, and Bolt was good. If they'd gone Bolt, Big Hero 6, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, holy crap. Yeah, that dude. feels like the natural progression. Yeah. And then they start doing princess shit again, and you're like, oh, well, this is what we're doing now. And in this case, it's not that, this, it's not that Big Hero 6 is bad, it's just that Zootopia was a shocking success. Zootopia had, I have to say, a lot more going on for, like, parent value. Like, there is so much shit in this movie that would, like, Mr. Pig stuff. Yeah. That would go completely over the heads of children. What's, what's the whole day of my daughter's wedding thing about? No idea. What's, what, why is Walter and Jesse funny to all the adults <laughs> in the cinema? Who knows? It's a mystery. Like, there's a lot of stuff here that's purely in there for the grown-ups. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Like, Big Hero 6 was just a kid's movie from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I like that about it a lot. I actually prefer less kind of nudge-nudge, wink-wink towards the grown-ups in the audience. So, yeah. There you go, Zootopia. We got through it. I decided I would like a Zootopia too, but they should do what every sequel should do and just do something different in that setting. Yeah, the we city don't, of yeah, Zootopia. We don't need to hang out with Judy and Nick again. They're done. They had a perfectly acceptable arc and we can now put them in a drawer with the other cops and not let them out. Like, they can go away. We will tell another story about Zootopia, which is what the movie is, you know, named and stuff. Oh, well, it's not going to happen because... When people say, I want a sequel, they mean, I don't want the story about these two things I care about to end. Rather than, I want to think about the other possibilities in this space. But hey. (laughs) I'm a cronyard. Uh-huh. So, alright, look. Look, 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 look. We had, we had Big Hero 6 is probably where we should be expecting our numbers to lie. We should probably be assuming that (laughs) Frozen is an outlier and and you know Zootopia is an outlier we're gonna go down again things are gonna settle down it's not like what wait what's that it's Musker and Clement's music and it's Polynesian 